The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. My first guest is a West Waterford resident. He's living with Parkinson's disease at a very young age. Ian O'Brien was diagnosed with early onset Parkinson's disease five years ago at the age of 37. The father or two joins me in studio this morning to tell us about life with Parkinson's and about the challenge he is taking up to raise funds. And to say it is some challenge <laughs> is not an understatement, isn't it? <laughs> Thanks very much for having me. It's good to be here. So how are people in your life feeling about this challenge before we describe it? Are you veering towards the, are you a bit cracked stage? Or? Totally are you a bit cracked. Okay. Totally. <laughs> don't even, definitely 100%. Um, could, could you not just do one or could you not? Yeah. You can explain what that means in a minute. Yeah. Yes, because um, there isn't just one. What yeah. are we? We're in the kind of 30s, are we? Yeah, so basically um, the challenge I, I've taken on is to climb the highest point in each of the EU, 27 countries and the UK. So it's 28 countries wow. in total. Uh, to climb them all in 28 days. Okay, so a mountain a day. It's a mountain a day. Now, being honest, not all are mountains because you okay. take Denmark and Holland and stuff like that, they don't have the biggest mountains. Some are, you are quite large and the biggest being Mont Blanc. And what are we talking about metres wise? What's Mont Blanc? Mont Blanc's 4,808. Okay, well done. And what's the lowest that you're the doing? lowest is Denmark, it's 171 oh, metres. Nice. Yeah, so You'll do two That's those, a day sure. off. Yeah, that's your day <laughs> off. Okay, talk to us. Let's go back to five years. Yeah. What was going on with your life that you went to a doctor and finally got diagnosed with early onset Parkinson's? Uh, I was in a very dark place. Um, like Parkinson's manifests very differently in everyone, you know, and there's 50, 60 sim- symptoms and everyone can present with an early uh, different symptom. So for two or three years leading up to my diagnosis, um, anxiety and depression was more, more my main um, symptoms, you know, and you'd never think about putting anxiety and depression with, with Parkinson's. Yes, I was starting to develop some movement issues, um, but I never put them all together. So... Um, I went to my local doctor and he put me on some antidepressants for that and kind of, you know, I, I didn't even mention the movement things. So I didn't really feel it was an issue at the time. And then um, I went to a friend of mine who had, he was a physical therapist about some of the movement and I had broken my wrist previously. And I thought my right, right hand wasn't, you know, it was related to the wrist being broken. Like to explain what would happen, I'd be writing a sentence and my hand would just stop. So I catch my left hand, push my right hand to finish the sentence. Uh, and taking keys out of my pocket and stuff like that was, was quite difficult. So I got him to check my wrist and he said, yeah, no, it's all fine. And I just said in a passing comment that, um, you know, it's like my brain tells my hand what to do and it doesn't do it. Most people with Parkinson's have a particular side that's affected. And um, so my right hand, so I catch my right hand and push it to, to do what I wanted to do. Or like I said, take keys out of your pocket or something like that was, was quite difficult. So, and what did you think it was, or did you think it was? I anything? know. I, I just put it down to breaking that wrist okay. five or six years previously, you know, of. and I thought it was a nerve issue or something mm. like that, you know. Uh, carpal tunnel syndrome was, was mentioned, and so my friend is a physical therapist. When I went to him, and I, he checked over everything, and he said, "No, it's fine." And I just said in a passing comment, "It's like my hand, or my brain tells my hand what to do, and it doesn't do it." Okay. And I saw his face change mm. very professionally. And I'll go back to that in a minute. He said, look, just go back to your GP and tell me you want to see a neurologist. Now, I'm going to be honest, I didn't really know what a neurologist was. Mm. I thought it was something to do with nerves and stuff like that. So went back to my GP and I said, look, I am still I have anxiety and depression and I have this movement with my arm. I want to see a neurologist. 
And he tried to talk me out of it in fairness, actually. He tried to admit, say, you know, up the medication and go to a different physio. Mm. And I persisted in at the time. I said, no, I want to see, you know, a, a neurologist and a psychiatrist, actually. And the first person I saw was the neurologist, the first appointment I got. And uh, I went in all happy and, you know, said, you know, the hand isn't moving right. And the end of it, he said, I think you've Parkinson's. Like that? Just in like that, that first appointment? Yeah, in that first appointment. And did you know about Parkinson's? Like, we kind of have a preconceived about Parkinson's. Yeah, it's, for older it's an old person's. Yeah. And I had a, an old relation that had it. Yeah. And, yeah, and he said, are you all right? And I said, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. And, I, and the shock was it was there. And I walked out and I sat in, the, in, my, in my car outside. And I just cried, you know. Because um, what does it mean? Um, it's it's life limiting more than a yeah, terminal disease. It's not it? a terminal disease. You don't die it's from not. Parkinson's. Okay. okay. Mm. Um, and like my, my first question to to the neurologist at the, at that time was, would you have anxiety and depression? Straight away, was the first question I asked, and he said, yeah. That was actually a weight off my shoulders. Yeah. You know. Uh, and that uh, can be treated. Yeah, and that can be treated. So, so in some ways, it was like a bit of relief, and then the shock kind of kicked in, and. Mm. I, but yeah, I cried for most of the rest, the rest of that day. And that, that was the next day after that, I said, right, pull yourselves together, you know. Um, and, and I did and have, and kind of moved on from there. And I'm probably happier now than I was then, you and know. And five years in, has ha, have you changed? Like, have you seen it progress? Uh, yes, definitely. Like, I used to say every day takes a tiny little piece off you. Okay. Something you notice every day. But then things like exercise can reverse it. Mm. Uh, amazingly like you know I, I'll notice when I'm not exercising that you know I'm a bit more rigid and stiff and can't move, a can't bit, move a, a bit more as freely like the cutting the sandwich is the big thing for me make the kids lunches every day morning if only two kids it takes me 45 minutes to make the lunch <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I kind of judge it's a good judge for me if you know if I make it in a half an hour and I'm having a good and day you're, determined <laughs> not to, you're not getting out of that you're going to do it all my time. wife makes sure I do it so <laughs> I have no way of getting out of it but um yeah, so definitely exercise can help. Mm. Yeah, it takes a small bit off you every day. And like I mentioned earlier, there's up to 50, 60 different symptoms mm. and everyone's affected differently, you know, so. And are you seeing more symptoms now? Or? Yeah, they start coming on. I'm starting to see a speech therapist because some of my speech can be affected. Okay. There's movement. So there's motor and non-motor symptoms, you know. Uh, I'm lucky. I don't have an, uh, well, so when people think Parkinson's, they think someone's shaking. Mm. I don't have a huge tremor uh, as such. I do have rigidity. Suffer from fatigue, balance wouldn't be great. Going climbing mountains and having a balance isn't a great mixture, but you know, I'll try and get over that. But there's things you can work on, you can work on everything, you know, you're not going to cure, but you can certainly help it. Yeah, uh, right. Know. And as you said, exercise is helping you. Huge. And you weren't a mountain climber before your Parkinson's diagnosis. Tell us about that first person you were talking about, your friend yes. who is the physical therapist. So, yeah. Where did he bring you? So basically, when after seeing the neurologist, I went back to him and said, look, I have something to tell you. He, I, I said, uh, I have Parkinson's. He said, not the worst. He said, not the worst. You know, That's nice to hear. There's worse out there. And, uh, he, that must have been good to hear, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. It yeah. definitely was. And he said, what are you doing next Saturday? I said, uh, I don't know why. He goes, come on, we're, we're going down to Kerry. We're going to climb in Karen Tool. <laughs> And I, I just brought you to the like, Comoros. No. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Did you do a hard one. Yeah, so we went down, spent the night down there and climbed it the next day. And uh, yeah, I just, it was it was amazing, you know. Uh, and I kind of obviously, there's a bit of a metaphor that you know, I got on top of Ireland and mm. get on top of my diagnosis. Yeah. And it just started from there, just started climbing mountains. Uh, not huge mountains, just getting out in the open 
um, you know, getting lost up the Dublin Mountains or getting lost in the Cumbers and finding your way and stuff mm. like that. And uh, the exercise element of it, the, the getting out in the open, the, the had so many beneficial effects, you know, uh, such a benefit for me uh, yeah. at the time and has continued to be a and benefit you, for me. You obviously are still doing it, so you must enjoy yeah. it. But there's something a little bit, I don't know, fatiguing for anyone about going up very steep hills. Yeah. Did you find that tough? I, yeah, I, I, again, back to the exercise element of mm. it, you know, uh, and uh, and then I suffer from fatigue. Like, I don't work anymore. Mm. All right. Uh, it's one of the things I, I decided to do. Stress brings on all the symptoms okay. an, an awful lot. And I had a, I had my own business in Dublin for a few years ago, and I sold that on, and that that was another weight off my shoulders. Uh-huh. I literally used to come home from from work and fall in the door and fall asleep in the, on on the floor, you know that that fatigue. So mm. that's gone, and the fitter I get, the, the better I am able to manage that. I used to always have to have a sleep during the day. I'd fall asleep for two hours okay. during the day. I can get over that now if I'm exercising and stuff like that. Sometimes it's still not off, but okay. you know, it, the exercise again, I keep going on about the exercise. It really, yeah. really helps. You know? Like I take medication as well. Mm. I take six different tablets a day, but the, medica- the, the exercise is probably the best medicine I take. Yeah, brilliant. Now, let's talk about this challenge because it's incorporating that first experience going up Carrick which is Ireland's highest. Ireland's highest is a thousand. And so you're doing that one now, or are you just that'll moving? Be, that'll be the last. Okay. That'll be the last. Um, it'd be nice to come home and do the, okay. do the one where it all started and obviously finish in my home country as okay. well. Okay, so you've given yourself 28 days. When are you heading? So at the end of May, I'll go over to Chamonix in France. Okay. And I have a kind of bit of a week's training there. And basically, I'll hit the top of Mont Blanc on the 5th of June. Okay, so that's the highest clock starts. Clock starts then, and you're just taking the the hardest one first, then, are you? Yeah, for two two reasons. One, just get it over and done with. Yeah, good and idea. Two, that week training and been there, and it's probably the most uh, the longest one to to, to uh, acclimatize for and get mm. to the top of. And I'm going to start the clock when I get to the top of that one. Okay. So then it'll roll on from there. Okay. And so anywhere in particular that you're looking forward to? Yeah, there's a few. Apart so, from the easy ones, some, obviously. There's a, there's a few. Uh, they're not, so hitting Mont Blanc, you're actually hitting France and Italy at the same time. Okay, great. they both share the top, so it's a little bonus there, okay. you know, it gives me you an, extra, an extra day or three so. Three in yeah. one, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, the next one I'm going to is out to the Azure Islands. Oh, gorgeous. Which is a Pico Island, um, Mount Pico. Really looking forward to that. It's somewhere different, somewhere I never would have went unless I was doing this challenge. Uh, so that'll, that'll be nice. And then to Tenerife to do Mount Tita. Some of these mountains have cable cars, so halfway up and stuff like that. I will be using them. Any public okay. transport that's available, I'll mm-hmm. be using them. And then there's Romania, Bulgaria, Greece. I've done Greece last year, which yeah. is really, really good. And Look such up. different climates as well that you'll be experiencing. Yeah, like then later on, I'm going up to above the Arctic Circle to do Sweden and Finland. Okay. So even though it's June, it'll still be quite yeah. cold and snow and all yeah. that up there. And anyone joining you along the way? Lots of friends. I'm very lucky. I have a great, great network of friends and family as well. So there'll be lots of people. I'm probably depending on people as I mm. go to do driving for me, to do kind of assistance along the way, and to join me on the on the treks. So mm-hmm. different people join me uh, on different points. Climb different and what about the two girls and your wife as well? Will they be at home? My or? wife's going to do car and tools. She'll always be at home mind the kids. The girls, they're five and eight. Yeah, they're going. You're going away for five weeks. I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? <laughs> Why can't you go and climb the mountain like you normally climb? 
you know, so they haven't got their heads around it. I know. You know. Well, um, you're doing it all, you're funding it all yourself. Yes, I'm funding it all myself. So that means any money that's raised will go straight yeah, to um, charity. Look, it's an adventure for me and my friends. So, like, you know, uh, it's something I'm interested in. So I'm willing to pay for that element mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then hopefully everything that people donate will go directly to the charity EOPD. And so that's e- a charity you set up yourself? Yeah, so EOPD stands for Early Onset Parkinson's Disease. And basically... Back to what we mentioned earlier, it's perceived as, as an old person's disease. Like if you Google Parkinson's disease, you just get pictures of old people mm. bent over and, mm. and shaking and stuff like that. So trying to change that perception. Um, it can be a kind of lonely place when you get diagnosed and, you know, meeting people maybe at a further uh, advanced stage, you know, it might mm-hmm. really help you t- to deal with it. So we think there's definitely a charity warranted there to deal, you know, to help younger people. There's a lot of uh, issues that come up, like, you know, you're still in work, how do you tell your kids? Mm. You know, there's lo- lots of things like that. So we founded a charity and last, ne- nearly two years ago, during, during COVID, and um, yeah, it's going from strength to strength. Brilliant. Unfortunately, it's going from strength to strength when you look at it, because the more people that join means that someone else is after getting diagnosed. Well, I know. But look, know. We're, we're there to help them. Exactly, and to create a community yeah, around this as exactly. well. So that charity is eopd.ie, set up by Ian himself, who is living with early onset Parkinson's disease. But if you want to check out the challenge that he has set himself, well, there is a website live and it is European, but you're spelling it E-U-R-U-P-I-A-N. Oh, I see what you're doing there yeah. now. Ah, <laughs> there's a bit of Ian as, you're, as in your name there. Yeah, so that's exactly. European.com. That's E-U-R-U-P-I-A-N.com. Best to look with it. You'll Thanks deserve a, a few drinks now on your last hill. So Or last uh, hill, last mountain. Yeah, <laughs> I look forward to that last day in Karen too. We'll meet all my friends and see the family again. So Brilliant. Well, thanks a million for coming into studio this morning. And best Pleasure. to look with all that Thank training. Thank you so much. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. We're almost done with the month that has the most sweeping generalisations that I've ever heard. The month to give up everything. Month of no money. The most miserable month. Well, it's nearly over and it already feels a bit spring-like out, out there. But before we head into brighter days, let's look back on the month that was January and some of the stories that have made the news. Joining me this morning is Beats Head of News, Jolene Murphy and Michelle Heffernan from Beats Big Lunch. You're both very welcome. Good morning, Hello. Orla. You're both very good to come in on a Sunday morning as well. But like that there, the mornings are getting brighter, Orla, yes. so I might as well come and say hello. I love Keep it. you company. Exactly. Um, have you a sweeping generalisation January uh, experience you know did you do dry January did you go exercising mad I was broke things? that's a yeah, generalisation that but is. also I think me and Michelle were talking about before that everybody has to get up and go and start new things and go to the gym and get oh. active but everybody else in, in nature is in oh, yeah, hibernating oh, yeah I yeah. saw this great Instagram post that was like all of nature is hibernating yes. now. So why aren't you? This is a cold and difficult yeah. month. So do things to make it easier. Exactly. Do not start new activities and yeah. routines when this is so hard. And, and I have fully embraced that. It does yeah. make you yeah. feel guilty. Okay, let's talk about some of the things that happened in January. And apart from spare, I found it very difficult to <laughs> remember <laughs> January. Let's talk spare. And I'm interested in talking to you, Michelle, because okay. I am. A little bit caught in the rabbit hole when it comes really? to the royals. Oh, I follow them on Instagram. I follow the prince and princess. Oh, I, I have zero interest, you know. Mm. Um, and it's funny, I'll obviously, I will engage in the conversation in the office, but I'll just sort of have this confused look all the time because I don't <laughs> understand why you would feel... Uh, an affinity mm-hmm. with somebody that you've never had I don't a personal relationship with. with. Um, or even, I suppose, 
I'm intrigued uh, if someone that you don't have a, a sense of emotional relationship with because I understand why you might feel close to certain celebrities mm-hmm. so if you watch a movie with a certain actor in it or if you listen to a song like I myself I love Taylor Swift yeah. and you know I really read into some of her lyrics so yes I would be interested in what does Taylor think about this and what has Taylor's experience been but when it comes to the royals I have no nothing to base a personal affinity on so yeah, I don't understand no. the fascination I'm fascinated because I'm really intrigued by people who generationally come from like third fourth fifth more obviously families that have been called kings and queens mm-hmm. and that yeah. they are just they don't they don't live any life compared yeah. to our, to ours you know in the disadvantage in that they don't have much freedom at all but and these massive advantages as well that people do cow down to them obviously so is it just I'm intrigued by that it's a sense of deep diving into another world into another world I'm being really intrigued by that world it's fantasy and escapism as well to look up at it's a different type of celebrity but I suppose I understand that in the case of Diana because I felt that she embodied something to be admired Mm. um, and she had the I suppose sense of grace um, and kindness that we might have associated with someone in that particular role but because as time went on we seemed to see these royals with I suppose dislikable traits Mm -hmm. I I didn't understand then why they still managed to gain such a following because to me they just weren't people to look up to yeah I don't even know if it's about looking up to them but also it's a generational thing as well like mm -hmm. their people look up to them for so long because they're the closest we have to a royal family over the pond you know like that Diana and people come to visit from my perspective for any royalist that I know they follow them because their parents did or their grandparents did and I know some people like they only have any interest because of the crown like me but the royalist's friend that I have actually went royalist Royalist. she (laughs) self-proclaimed royalist won't watch the crown because she's such a royalist she's like no I respect that's them as really they are. interesting because mm-hmm. it was the crown that made me somewhat mm-hmm. for the first time interested in the monarchy yeah. but purely from this historical and political oh, yeah. analysis and I got to understand okay this is why this is actually such a big deal mm. and this is why these people and their actions are such a big and deal. I'm also very mm-hmm. intrigued by how they have cousins everywhere so at some stage you know yeah. this this aunt married this king in Germany but I do watch the royals a bit like I watch Real Housewives <laughs> For the mania, which yes. is why I was really intrigued by Spare. I'm not going to read Spare because I don't read Do you think, though, in that sense, it's kind of trauma porn? Uh, like, yeah. you That's are <laughs> getting off on the scandal of someone else's yeah. life. But it's not just scandal. <laughs> way to put it. <laughs> the scandal and I the think intrigue. most of my reality show watching is that. Yeah. So maybe. Okay. No, but also, it's not just that. It's the fashion and the okay. No, the I do. Family do ties love the fashion. And, yeah. yeah. All yeah. that as well. Okay. You know, look, I I'll reserve judgment. Let's move on to something uh, completely different. But let's. I'll just ask this question quickly. Do, is anyone here going to read Spare? No. No, me neither. <laughs> and I am the person. Categorically, yeah, no. I know. I watched the interview. I watched the Harry interview. And I watched the Netflix series. I felt okay. sorry for them and was on their side for the next Netflix series. Then I watched the ITV interview. No longer... Uh, I'm on their side. So- well, I don't even know where I am. So let's move on. But would you be dying to interview them? Would you love to sit down with him yourself? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> the hesitation okay. said no. okay. Because you know why? Because I don't think he'd give much. I think, yeah. you know, I yeah. do think he's telling telling his story, but I don't think it's, 
it, and it is a particularly deep story for him. I think he's a deeply traumatized human Boy, being. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think I would get much more out of that. Okay. So, yeah. So you're like, I'm over. I'm yeah. over and quickly, him. just yeah. on the royalist thing, mm-hmm. I know somebody who won't buy the book because they were such big royalist fans of the likes of Diana yeah. to have all of it put out in public. They said, no, not giving him okay. any money. Not going to read Jolene, it. Jolene, yeah. you have a lot of royalist friends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't tell my family. And then a squirthy. You. Uh, let's move on to Argos now. When okay, I was a yeah. child, there was no Argos, and to me, what? Argos was bright and shiny. And yeah, mm-hmm. um, I remember someone brought the catalogue back from England, and I really wanted this porcelain bulb that was held by a white hand. It was hideous. <laughs> I wanted it so badly. Now it's closing, and you know, I have to say, I don't use Argos that much, but it does feel like a bit of an end of an era, doesn't it's it? Absolutely. So every birthday that was celebrated when I was a child, you would go straight to the Argus catalogue yeah. and you would mm-hmm. get this really tacky necklace that said best friends. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> From their special jewellery shop. Yeah. yeah. And then for Mother's Day, it would be this tacky gold necklace that said mom with a heart. <laughs> and I thought that she would love it. And then, you know, when it came to your bedroom, like if you had the groovy chick inflatable chair or the mini fridge that was this like Coca-Cola can from the Argus catalogue. Or the like, play by bunny wallpaper. Oh my God, you were <laughs> so yes. cool. And I had hours of entertainment leafing through that catalogue. That yeah. and Christmas for your birthdays. For the likes of people in poor old Enniscorthy didn't have an Argos, even in County Wexford for yeah. years. So my first memory was being like eyes level to the counter, watching my sister with the little pen fill out the little piece oh, of paper. Flicking through the book and then yep. going up to the counter. Like, that's my first memory is the one in Waterford City Square. Yeah. And going down there was a big deal to go to Argos. And even now, thinking I needed to get something for my dog, it was like a little pen. It's yeah. like a rabbit run. Mm-hmm. I was thinking before Christmas, I must get that now. But I'm thinking, I'm not going to get anything like it. It's definitely in Argos. This is not a plug, but things like that that yeah. you're like, oh, I'll definitely yeah. get it there. You won't have that anymore. No, kids no. are not going to experience no. that really weirdly nice feeling of picking something out of a catalogue writing down the numbers <laughs> or just, and then going in and collecting it do you know what it is it. it's similar to the royals it's sort of just dreaming yes. it's kind of like dream you know it's yes. just escaping reality like yeah. yeah I'd have that and then I'd put that in the corner mm. of my bedroom and I'd get those fancy lights yeah. I should get those, those on the stairs i get that yeah. those portable phones and yeah I remember it all came in sections yes you know I loved that as well they were very organised but they are No more, unfortunately. And our final story this morning is I love the buzzwords and they come thick and fast now, mostly thanks to TikTok, I think. And the latest one, uh, New Year, New Buzzword is Nepo Babies. Now, it was coined (laughs) in 2022, but Gen Z have embraced this. And in fact, I saw a tweet where someone didn't realise that like a very obvious person was a Nepo baby, for example. So it is Gen Z are really uncovering all these to their own amusement. This has always been a thing. Nepotism has been alive and well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's funny how, you know, like you said, an old topic re-emerges from Gen Z simply because they managed to put a hashtag to yeah. it. Um, but what I found curious about this trend is that um, it, it focuses very much, I suppose, on celebrity privilege yeah. when really the privilege exists in all sectors, totally. you know. Yeah. So while my parents are not famous, maybe my dad would disagree with that, um, <laughs> I would have to acknowledge that I came from a certain amount of privilege to end up in the position that I'm in now, you know. So I think I suppose I kind of find it pot calling kettle black if you're saying, well, this person shouldn't, you know, be this successful or be this wealthy or they're only that way because of their parents. 
Couldn't we all say that? In some mm-hmm. sense? And we only oh, know completely. them because of their parents as exactly, well. I actually yeah. had to Google the word Nepo baby. Like, what is Nepo? Why am I seeing this everywhere? It sounds really negative. Like Do a repo, re- re- like Nepo. Yeah. No, nepotism. That's what it is. Even I was reading it Nepo baby before yeah. when I saw it first. I do think it must be really frustrating if you're in the arts and you see someone who never had to work for 10 years in a cafe mm. or work three jobs just so they could go to auditions. Yeah. You know, and it's funny that with Timothy Chalamet, for example, um, when the rumours started flying that he was going to be in Gladiator, his agent said that he hadn't auditioned for a role in seven years. Wow. You know, wow. which just goes to show... Is he an Apple baby? Yeah, his, well, his parents are in the industry. Okay, yeah. okay. But um, they're not super famous. But he would have been sent to that school of arts that lured yes. Madonna's daughter so was in. So that's more about privilege of it's being able very to go much, to yeah, places. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so, and not having to audition for yeah. seven years yeah. to get a role. Know, so he didn't have to go through the same hoops that yeah. other people do to break Whereas into the, the industry. Whereas the Zoe Kravitz and the Maya Hawks of the world, I think they're seen as the real true Nepo babies because their own parents, you know, Were Lenny Kravitz. very big and, celebrities, yeah. Yeah, and uh, oh, what's Maya Hawks? Uma Thurman and, and, and Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke, yeah. wow, double whammy. Yeah. They're so super famous. I do think that, like, the one Nepo baby that I'm thinking of who is getting like blasted for his ridiculousness and probably isn't that talented and I feel very sorry for him because he's really trying is Brooklyn Beckham like his oh. recipe oh <laughs> like I shudder and I think that's what I it think all people goes just bit... want to pile on him though I, know. I mean yes, he's not I he's not asking to be a celebrity but you know Vogue magazine then gives him some level of coverage yeah. and people buy the magazine to read it and then they all just like pile on this abuse on him <laughs> simply because he accepted the opportunity to speak yeah, to a publication, true. you know. I suppose as well he seems to jump from career to career. He was a photographer, now he's trying to be but some at any sort of opportunity chef. people would take him down as well. Yes. No matter what yeah. he did, I'd say mm. if he like solved, you know, all the problems in the world, they'd still have a problem to say, like, yeah. oh, it's because he's Brooklyn Beckham. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, he didn't ask to be born. No, into true. A pre- I like true. Well, you can say whole, that about Prince Harry as well, no. You, sure. you can say that about any of us. Yeah. I mean, I watched this great TED talk once and it was from a supermodel. I can't remember oh, her name. Oh, I saw that, yeah, about but her she being was born talking about, Yeah, how, you know, people would come up to her and ask about how they wanted to be a model and she would say, I'm in this position for two reasons, lottery and legacy. Yeah. And she said, I won a genetic lottery and I happen to be alive at a time when this particular look mm-hmm. is popular. And the same can be said for us and for those celebrities that... They were born into certain circumstances and the talents that they have to offer happen to be mm-hmm. in demand and mm-hmm. we happen to be willing to pay for it, mm. you know. So really, like, if you have something against that, I think you need to take a look at yourself because, you know, you definitely exist on a certain amount of privilege and you don't know it either. Yeah, that's so true. Well, there's a whole thesis in that and we don't have enough time for a thesis. Jolene Murphy and Michelle Heffernan, thank you so much you, for joining me this morning and talking about January and I'll talk to you in February. Woo! The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. It's the Sunday Grill here on Beat 102-103 and Alliance Insurance and Women's Aid have come together to create the Stand Strong movement which aims to engage, educate and empower the people of Ireland to help end domestic abuse and in doing so raise much needed funds for Women's Aid to support women and children in need across the country. One in four women are subjected to domestic abuse in Ireland by a current or intimate male partner. To tell us more about the Stand Strong movement and how you can get involved, Ruth O'Dea is a training manager at Women's Aid and she joins me this morning. You're very welcome, Ruth. Good morning, Orla. Good morning. Talk to me about the idea that domestic abuse in Ireland is a societal issue. What does that mean? 
really what that means is that um, domestic abuse uh, affects uh, so many women in Ireland that uh, chances are that that people, the average person will know somebody um, who's been impacted by abuse. They may not have they may not know that they know that person, mm. but likelihood is that through their daily life, um, we, we, we are all going to be um, interacting with survivors and, and we, we, how we react as a society, you know, as a community and how we show our solidarity with those women um, is really, really what, what, that, what that phrase, what that means. Um, you know, domestic abuse impacts on a woman's life in so many different spheres, mm-hmm. on her, her, her ability to work. Her, her ability to move around freely in society, um, you know, her liberty, her, her physical well-being and, and, and actually um, in the most um, fate, uh, the worst circumstances, her right to life. Mm-hmm. So it is it is a societal issue um, and a social, a, a grave social issue. We've really spoken a lot about um, a domestic abuse since COVID, really, since the pandemic, because there was that whole conversation about how dangerous the pandemic and lockdown was for women who were being subjected to domestic abuse. Has it become a more open conversation now because of that? Or is it still something that we don't really speak of? There is a bit of more openness now in society around the issue of domestic abuse. Um, one thing that we've noticed in the last uh, two, two to three years is that employers are becoming much more aware of this as a workplace issue mm-hmm. and are looking to support their employees under the employee wellbeing umbrella. They're saying, well, look, we're, we're, we want to stand with our employees and help them. And if something that we can do in the workplace by being you know, disclosure friendly, by offering some paid leave, you know, by, by being a source of support for a victim during that time, we, we want to do that. So that that's something that I think did come out of COVID because a lot of employers' awareness was raised when they had to say to their employees, either your job is not here or please work from home. And then they start to see that the lines between home and work and became kind of blurred and they start to see things that they were concerned about. So that awareness has increased in, in that period and employers are a case in point. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year I spoke to a Wexford woman who was part of the Women's Aid and Alliance Group World's Strongest Woman campaign and she spoke about being in a toxic and emotionally abusive relationship at a, a very long a young age in her teens and um, with an ex-partner it really got me thinking then that like we really have or, or do we have a preconceived idea about what domestic abuse is I think we do I think um I think there are you know stereotypes there in people's um consciousness where they see you know um the 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 bruised woman mm, the black the eye mother. Um, mm. the mother yeah and, and usually in a, in a quite a solid relationship mm-hmm. you know settled down married uh, with children but but actually you know abuse can affect can affect anyone at any age in their life it also it also can be um, impacting on older women women as well but for for younger women you know we we've done a survey quite a large scale survey in the last uh, couple of years which showed that one in five women aged between 18 and 25 had experienced abuse from an intimate partner. And actually of that figure, that 20% figure, half of them had experienced the abuse before the age of 18. Mm-hmm. So it's starting quite young. It can be sometimes an abuse can be in that first relationship that they've mm-hmm. ever had, the first romance. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a bit of a, there can be just, you know, just that lack of 
confidence and, and a young person not knowing yeah. what's okay, what, what's acceptable. Is it okay to, you know, do, am I supposed to share my passwords of my phone with my partner? And suddenly now, as a result of that, I'm seeing that 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 is being used against me. My my the stuff online about me that I didn't know how it got there, or um, just surveillance of me, con- just all these controlling behaviours that happen in abusive relationships that may not actually he may not raise his hand to her, and um, but the threat of, of violence is usually there, mm-hmm. and then this controlling behaviour, monitoring, and sometimes isolating the person from their friends, telling them, you know you you know, I only want to be with you. And yeah. that that can be normal sometimes in, in the honeymoon period. But it also, if it if if the woman, if she can't kind of negotiate that and she can't, you know, that becomes her, her world starts to shrink, you know, then then that's a cause for concern. Yeah, totally. And um, let's talk about the Stand Strong movement at Women's Aid with yeah. Alliance Insurance. What do you yeah. aim to do with this campaign? We look, we're, um, it's a, I think it's a brilliant campaign. It's a fundraising and solidarity event and it's happening on the new bank holiday, mm-hmm. which we, we're, we're, we think is brilliant because that's the bank holiday that's being linked to St. Bridget. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the, yeah. So um, it's, it, we're, we're asking people to come together or even to, to be, to do it on their own, but to do the warrior, the yoga warrior pose, um, and to use that as a kind of a, a moment in time to to shine a spotlight and then, you know, donate to Women's Aid uh, and and share, take a photo if you feel comfortable doing that and share the image at, and use if you're on social, use the tag hashtag stand strong. So it's it's trying to, you know, it's that, that thing about shining the light, mm-hmm. raising awareness, raising money uh, and coming together and saying to to women, we're with you. We have your back we don't accept this. Mm-hmm. And we've spoken a lot um, about abuse and what domestic abuse is. And at Women's Age, what, when you raise the funds, what, what do you do then with those funds? Yeah, well, we we run um, the National Free Phone Helpline, which is uh, a 24-hour service that's free. Um, it's, 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 it's available all across the country and every, you know, 24-7, anybody can call us at any time. And we will be there for for the caller. Um, most of our callers are women who are, who are subjected to abuse, but we get a lot of calls from family, friends, colleagues, neighbours who are concerned, also professionals like guards, um, healthcare professionals. And they're they're looking for a bit of a steer. They're 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 concerned about somebody. Uh, but the, the women themselves who are calling us, you know, sometimes they've they're very sure they're ready to ready to make a move or mm-hmm. they're looking they're looking for refuge we can then link them in to the refuge check which refuge is there a refuge nearby that's got a place and we can make that direct contact or with the local domestic violence service if there isn't a refuge in their county we can also link them into women's aid services if they want to meet us face to face in the greater dublin area um, and we have um, a drop-in service in in dublin then we also provide uh, training to to agencies um all around the country who are like who are supporting women so just you know for healthcare professionals guards community workers and employers as i mentioned mm-hmm. uh, we have we have these public awareness campaigns as well all the time trying to make sure that that we reach the women you know who 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 don't look for help because mm-hmm. we, we we know from the from the research that um one third of of survivors will never tell anyone about what's happened to them so that's what that's what we really want to 
we want to reduce that number. We want to make sure that a lot of the time people will ring us and say, actually, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm on to the right place. Um, I, I don't think this is really for me, but I'm a bit, you know, worried about my husband, this kind of thing. So in the course of the conversation, we can bring it back to where they're at and find out what's going on for you. So that's what we use. So we get calls from all over the country um, and that that's, you know, we also have an instant messaging service if somebody wants to 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 not not to call but to use the chat on their phone or on the website they and um, they can do that and we we will respond then uh, and can, you know support the person in in that um in that online messaging support which is really helpful yeah. for some people who who can't pick up the phone and call you know totally and uh, the stand strong campaign on February the 6th on St. Bridget's Day, 100% of the funds raised for that will help Women's Aid on all those services that you mentioned. And that's at 24 hours a day, seven days yeah. a week service as well. So you want people to do the warrior pose, put it on their yeah. social media. And of course, the warrior pose is strength, focus, confidence and courage with the hashtag Stand Strong. And you can get more details from the website. It's standstrong.ie. That's where full details are and ways to donate as well. Ruth, thank you so much for joining me this morning and telling us more about what the great work that Women's Aid does and about the Stand Strong campaign on February 6th. Thank you, Orla. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Your music now, it's Beat 102, 103. And this week was an exciting one for Carlo businesswoman Joe Brown when she opened her first dedicated store at Kildare Village with her business story. Her business story is an inspiring one and she's on the phone this morning. Hi, Joe. Hi, Orla. How well, congratulations. This is a, almost a full circle moment for me as well as you, Joe. We've talked a few times, haven't we? We have, yes, at the very start of the business. Yeah, and then uh, when you were doing your pre-cleanse and you just added and added to your products, didn't you? Yeah, I think uh, we got into so many different shops. Uh, we found at one stage we just didn't have enough room shelf, uh, room space and shelf space. So, yeah, we do, we just kept adding to the brand. Um, so everything I went out, I formulate myself okay. through, um, through research on my own. So that's kind of, and I never knew I was able to do that. So it's it's quite amazing. Yeah. So I think the first time you were in the Sunday Grill was about seven years ago with your solid perfume. It was like almost a lip balm that you twist up and and it becomes a solid perfume. How would you describe Joe Joe Brown as products? How do you describe it to people? Yeah. So Joe Brown is a luxury product. It's a sustainable product. Our packaging is in bamboo. So we do body care, we do skin care, we do home accessories, and also now we do the bamboo bedding. So um, we also use ingredients from the bamboo tree as well. So bamboo is very sustainable. It grows with no pesticides. So the ingredients, then we use bamboo extract in our award-winning facial serum. We use bamboo powder in our RSVP winner uh, body scrub. And then we use uh, bamboo silk in our soap. So it's very sustainable, our company is. And is that what you thought about when you were starting off? Was sustainability something that was important to you? Yeah, I could never wear, I suppose, normal spray perfume. So the whole concept of making a solid perfume was very exciting because I actually was buying it in from Australia. Mm. And I just said, oh, I'm a reflexologist. 
let's see, can I make a solid perfume? And then I spotted bamboo and I said, imagine if I could put a perfume into that bamboo stick. But then our company has grown so much. Our company is six and a half years old. Um, and we have so many different products now, which which is amazing. It really is. And now you have pop-ups in Brown Thomas, you're in Arnott's, but you now have your first dedicated store up the road from you in County Carlo in Kildare Village. How did this all come about? Oh, absolutely amazing. Um, I suppose we did t- such a good job in Brown Thomas and Arnott's and we were spotted. Um, and then I approached Kildare Village, I think, I mean, walking into Kildare Village you're with all these high-end brands. And I just said, imagine if I had a shop in Kildare Village. Now it's there. Oh, my God, that's such a dream. But you know what? If you don't go looking, you won't get. And if you don't dream it, you won't get it. You have to have the dream. You really, really do. Uh, I'm blown away. So we opened our shop Thursday. Um, it's, it was remarkable. It was amazing. We had a queue and everything coming into wow. the shop. Um, so our biggest, I think, thing will be there is our bamboo bedding. Uh, we've lovely bundles put together. We have exclusive stuff for Kildare Village. And um, yeah, it's just amazing working oh. with the Kildare Village staff. Congratulations. It's just lovely to hear such a good news story early on in 2023 as well. Are you going to be up there a lot yourself or where are you going to be? Do you yeah, feel, yeah, base yourself I, I at home? I plan to be there three or four days a week. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Lovely. And lovely to meet your customers as well. Do you know what? That's what it's all about. Meeting the customers. Um, it's been, I suppose it's been on the ground. It's very important to be on the ground when you own a business and meeting the people that are buying your product. Yeah, brilliant stuff. Yeah. Well, look, yeah. uh, where will we find you in Kildare Village? Are you easy enough to find? It's a bit of a maze in there. There's so many great shops. Uh, it can be, yeah. So when you go into Kildare Village, you're going to take a left. Okay. So we're Unit 71 and we're next door to Elemis. Okay, good to know. That is Unit 71 in Kildare Village. But if you want to check out Joe online, it is Joe Brown and that's Brown with an E. So joebrown.com. And Joe, I know you're so busy. Thank you so much for talking to us this morning and congratulations on the new and the first shop dedicated to Joe Brown products in Kildare Village. It's great to get a Carlo success story. Thanks a million. Thank you so much, Arla. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Across the southeast, it is Beat 102-103. Now, if anything is finally going to get me to the cinema, I feel you're going to this laugh. This is it? This is it. I mean, Orla. I know. If I wish I could believe you. <laughs> Honestly, I come in and every week I have a smile on my face. And you're saying, I'm going to go see this in the cinema. And I'm like, I can't wait to talk to you about it, Orla. Because there's things about it that I like. I can never give away on films. And I'm, I hate things getting spoiled for me. And I always just want to talk to you about it. And you're like, I didn't see it. And then eight months later, you're like, do you know what? I saw it. it yeah, I saw it. I didn't really like it. it I'm like, well, you could have told us. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But there was something about this trailer. I think Margot Robbie, her character in this had elements of Harley Quinn again. It yeah. was very manic. Unhinged. Yeah, unhinged. Yeah. Anyway, the movie, of course, is Babylon. A bit of this of a snub at the Oscars. Just three kind of under the radar nominations. None of the actors nominated. It's the tale of outsized ambition, outrageous excess, traces the rise and fall in early Hollywood during the time of silent film when they were kind of coming to an end. Would that be right? Yeah, it's it's kind of... Okay, so this is a spoiler. Well, will I play the clip? Yeah, we'll do the spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's okay. do that I, and then I, I, you can chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you could go anywhere in the whole world, where would you go? I always want to be part of something bigger. 
love that answer. Something that lasts, that means something. Something yes. more important than life. It's written in the stars. I am a star. If I had money, I would only spend it on things that were fun, you know? Not boring things like taxes. I'm just one for everyone to party forever. When I first moved to LA, signs on all the doors said, no actors or dogs allowed. I changed that. And now, y'all ready for something different? You know what we have to do? We have to redefine the form. Map those dreams and print them into history. Look up and say, Eureka, I'm not alone. There you go. Brian has just told me there that this is three hours. So everything that I said a minute ago, I take back. Really? <laughs> is it? Oh, no. I can't do three hours in the cinema. That includes half an hour of trailers. Well, yeah, it depends. You know, well, I'm, I'm not really late for it. I don't really like to be late enough that I miss the trailers. Cause yeah, true. Trailers now re- like ruin things for me, honestly. Yeah, I uh, know. But I haven't been to the cinema in so long. Not my own fault. Um, that trailers would excite me. Yeah, but um, this, I would say, Orla is a great film. Like it's Okay, because this has divided the critics. I don't much. care. You don't okay. you we you always say you. you only have to listen to me. Yeah. Um <laughs> it's one of those it's one of those things. So the the bit of irony is that like in the start of the movie one of the characters all, like Margot Robbie's character and uh Diego Calva's character all they want to do is get onto a movie set. Uh-huh. I Ironically, had was well, I was people. I was no I was on set and I was like not needed, so I said I dip away for a few hours and go to the oh. cinema and saw it. And I was like, that's ironically, I left set to go see it, so whatever. But <laughs> that's um, a bit of a humble brag. I know, there, I know, Griffin. you know, I know. But I was only sitting around anyway, so it's not as if I was doing anything. <laughs> on a student film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to be good. No, no, it's going to be good. Still important. Still um, but uh, it's uh, it was it was a film that I was looking forward to. Like Damien Chazelle did La La Land. One of the most divisive films I've ever oh, seen. Completely. I love it. I disliked it massively. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things like people seem to either absolutely love or absolutely hate. Like uh-huh. it's, there's never someone who's like, I saw La La Land. It was okay. Yeah, I'd watch it again. Yeah. I wouldn't. No. I, I loved it. But uh, so this one, there's a spoiler in what it is. Oh, okay. In, 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 and it's, it's very cleverly done. Like if you're a person that loves... Hollywood and loves cinema. Mm. You're probably gonna love this movie. Okay. So this was hundred percent right up my alley. I think Brad Pitt and Mark Robbie are two of the best actors working. Hundred percent made for me, like you okay. know. Yeah. So it was. It's basically a tribute and a remake of Singing in the Rain. Ah. Okay. So it's essentially what Singing in the Rain was in real life, like. Do you know the way, like you might say, it's a Hollywood version of it. They took out all the bad times and like all the, mm. it only left in like all the nice parts and made everything else kind of rounded and happy mm-hmm. and wholesome. Mm-hmm. Imagine Singing in the Rain, but real, essentially. Okay. But explain people who might know Singing in the Rain. What do you mean by that storyline that matches Babylon? Yeah, so it is. It's the story of like Hollywood transitioning from like the silent era mm-hmm. to the, the sound era and okay. like, like how actors were kind of thrown out essentially because they weren't able to become like talky movie stars yeah, you know there's the whole you know we've seen it in a few movies you know suddenly they realise they have a squeaky voice yes and, yeah. and it's it's one of those things and it's like it was like these car- and then it's it's and, and it's like the, the jazz singer comes out and it's this massive thing and then Hollywood is like oh we really have to get on this yeah and it's and like of course we've seen this with The Artist was that the movie yeah though? that was yeah. A, which was all about the silent era and was a silent movie yeah 2011 Again, a movie I did not like. But it was—it's—it's it's one of those things that like it shows Hollywood, like how you can be the biggest star in the world, 
and then immediately get thrown out like your your yesterday's news. Yes, totally. And it's it's kind of the sad reality of it in a way. But also it's like these people that like wanted like love the magic of it mm-hmm. and how the magic kind of got destroyed on them a small bit. Mm-hmm. And it's it's quite sad, honestly. But it is like singing in the rain through and through, which is quite interesting because I love like I love singing in the rain. Uh-huh. So it was like those parts when I was like, oh, this is funny because like it kind of matches singing in the rain. It looks a bit more decadent than the innocence of singing in the rain. It is. Or... It's it's like an uninnocent version. Okay. Like it is. It is crazy. I wouldn't watch it with my mom. No, my mom would probably be giving out about it. But seems to be a lot of nudity in it. There is a lot of nudity in it. Big thumbs up for me for that. And it's it's one of those. <laughs> It's one of those things like it's like there's drugs everywhere, there's this that everywhere. It's like it's like the 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 debauchery of uh-huh. of Hollywood, but it's uh-huh. like it looked mad and it like it shows how crazy and how turned out things were and how unsafe it was and there's asbestos everywhere and like the kind of these how this is how like the effect it had on people that stayed and the effect effect it had on people that left. It's like how it brushed aside culture and everything. And it's mm-hmm. like at the start of the movie, it's this glorious place of like just craziness you know mm-hmm. but it's not really glorious it shows like the greatness but also the terribleness of it all bit boogie nights-ish it is a bit like yeah. but yeah. it was just honestly like it was three hours and I know we're going to say three hours long movie I you didn't feel it going honestly now is you know from watching the clips and I watched many clips Margot Robbie just seems to be the standout star of this it's it's kind of one of those things there's kind of like five separate storylines happening okay. which is inter- which is probably why the, those three hours aren't as long for exactly you. because you have like the kind of the Brad Pitt storyline the Margot Robbie storyline the Diego Calva storyline he's kind of the main one mm. and then there's um there's two more uh, it's just kind of like they're kind of smaller really yeah. but it, it's basically like how like the Asian culture and the black culture were kind of pushed out and okay. also kind of like like uh, LGBTQ uh-huh. people were kind of just pushed out of Hollywood. They wanted mm-hmm. to have a certain narrative and it was just kind of mad how these things were pushed out but it it's like to the people, to the public, it's like, oh, these things just happened. But it's like, no, it was these little steps and these gradual little steps and suddenly it was this massive thing. But it's just like people die like in every stage of the thing like, and they're just okay. like, well, they're dead. We've got to get somebody else. And that's all it was. It was like literally like it's it's like it's completely out with the new old in with the new all the time. And it was just amazing to see. I okay. honestly really had a great and time. And is it very it. fast moving? Uh, yeah. At some stages, it, you know, like, yeah, and it always kind of is because there's always some sort of intense pressure on. Mm. And there's always, if it's not in one story, there isn't another. Okay. And there's all, like you, you get in with these characters so much and it's just so, you're so happy for them to achieve things but you're also so sad to see what happens to them do you know okay let's black pudding Babylon so I would give it a 9 out of 10 wow okay. I really enjoyed it uh, it was like like at 9.3 I'd say like I on it, it's one of those things where I know my friends wouldn't enjoy it I know my okay. friend. if I went to my friends I'm, I'm kind of glad I saw it on my own yeah. I'm not going to lie my friends would think it's too long and boring and okay. whatever Yeah. it's just completely taking all the boxes for me honestly so Okay. It's just this is like, I don't know if you if you're like mad into kind of Hollywood, and how it's what it's like behind the scenes. Yes. Yeah. Do you know it's what I mean? For me. Yeah. All right. When I talk to you next week, ask me now. Did I go see Babylon? I will hundred percent will. Maybe give me a couple of weeks. Anyway, we'll see. Yeah. Um, that is nine point three. You've never yeah. done the fractions before. Oh yeah. Well. 
<laughs> yeah, it's more of a decimal than a fraction. Oh, it is a decimal. Excuse my maths. 9.3 <laughs> out of 10 black puddings for Babylon. It is out now, starring Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, and a whole host of stars. Brian, thanks a million. No bother at all. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102 103.